We are continuing our study today in the book we have been in for a little while now, and that is the book of what? First Thessalonians. Go ahead and turn there in your Bible, chapter 3. First Thessalonians, chapter 3. Again, I'm going to read the whole chapter, and then we'll focus in on our passage today. First Thessalonians, chapter 3. A letter from the Apostle Paul to the church in Thessalonica, inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is what it says. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith. But no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you, for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now, we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. If you watch the news, if you read the major headlines, you'll likely agree that there's a lot of bad things going on in the world right now, both in our nation and around the world. There's corruption, there's war, There's sickness and death, there is financial hardship, there's perversion, there is immorality. And why is it that those kinds of things dominate what we see on the news and in the headlines? Well, part of the reason we see those things is because they exist. We live in a world under the fall, under the temporary power of of Satan. These are things that are actually happening, even if whatever news outlet you read has a slanted perspective. But another reason we see those stories more often is because websites and TV programs exist for profit. And one of the main ways these companies make money is through advertising. It happens through commercials on TV or through website ads, pop-up ads, whatever is on the webpage. And the money they make from those ads depends on how many people are watching or reading those stories. The higher the ratings, the more money they make 
from those advertisements. And it didn't take news media very long to figure out that bad news sells. Bad news makes money. You might remember Newsies, this is a Disney musical, little kids selling newspapers. One of the songs they sing, they say, we need a good assassination. We need an earthquake or a war because it sells more. Papers, there's an old uh, saying in the media that says, if it bleeds, it leads. Put that story first, death, blood, why? Because while there is an attraction in us to something that's funny or sentimental, there seems to be a stronger connection to fear and worry. Some of that is because we want to know what happens so that we can be prepared and be protected in case that were to happen to us. And another part of that is so that we can be good conversationalists and sharing these things and passing it along. If, it's, if worry and fear tracks us that much, we may engage more people if we tell them things to worry about. When I was a waiter, I said this many times, but at, at Marie Callender's here, one of the managers there told us a statistic that had been shared with him, I think from the owner and these courses they go to. The statistic was that if you went to a restaurant and had a great experience, you would tell one other person about your experience. You'd recommend that restaurant. But if you went to a restaurant and had a bad experience, statistically, he was told, you would tell 10 people about it. Don't go there. I'm not sure where the statistic came from, but, but it makes some sense. There's, there's an attraction to bad news. There's even an attraction to outrage. It might even appeal to the certain self-justification. Look how bad it is out there. We don't like hearing and knowing how bad things are, but we also don't want to miss out on what could be very important information. You know, there... You, I don't know, something simple. You might be overpaying your electric bill. Stay tuned to find out how to make sure you're not. Now you have to watch. Some people, psychologists, they lean on the evolution side. Well, this is an evolutionary trait, you see, because worry is a survivalist instinct, and so we're naturally attracted to things that scare us because it helps us survive. That's all they can lean on. They have to do the best to explain that. But with all the bad news that surrounds us, it seems that maybe more so in our culture, we can turn more into pessimists and we lose the ability to seek and to receive and to process and to appreciate good news. The father of Proverbs gives us a helpful reminder. I'll just share a couple of Proverbs with you. Proverbs 15 verse 30 says this, the light of the eyes rejoices the heart. And good news refreshes the bones. Proverbs 25, 25 says this. Like cold water to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. So very vivid images we have of how refreshing and invigorating good news is. And those Proverbs are appropriate because they are exactly the feeling the Apostle Paul had when Timothy came to him. 
Last week we talked about what had happened. Paul was eventually in Athens with his team and he made the painful decision to separate the team and he sends Timothy back to Thessalonica because he needed to find out how the church was doing. That church was facing severe persecution when Paul was there. After he left, there was still severe persecution and with the difficulty came the temptation to just walk away from the faith. So Timothy goes and his charge was to investigate. He went to exhort them. He went to protect them, to to prevent them from falling away. He leaves from Athens to Thessalonica. That would have been about 275 miles. And then he has to travel 275 miles again to return from Thessalonica back to Corinth. In this case, he would go Athens and then all the way down to Corinth. We, We don't know exactly how he traveled. It could have been by boat. And look at a map of Greece. He could have traveled the coastline. He could have been on land. Regardless of how he traveled, his return to Paul then is a huge relief. One, because Timothy is safe, but two, because he gets an update. So look at verse six again with me, and we'll see how Paul describes Timothy's report. First Thessalonians chapter three, verse six. Paul says, but now that Timothy has come to us from you, and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. And we'll we'll stop there just to consider the report, the content of his report. Paul says, Timothy brought us good news. The Greek word there is evangel. It's connected to the term for the gospel, which means good news. Usually that that word is used for the preaching of the gospel, but the basic idea is the proclamation of good news, and the good news in this case is that the church in Thessalonica was still there. Not only did it still exist, but they continued in faith and in love, and and that's what, if you go back to chapter one for a second, verse two, Paul says, we give thanks to God always for all of you. We mention you in our prayers, remembering, verse three, your work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope, and that may have been what he thought about them when he was with them and saw in them for the short time he was with them, but now he hears that it continues. There's faith and there's love. They have a love for one another, and they have a love for Paul. So remember, there were false teachers there uh, accusing Paul. Paul's not a real apostle. See, he abandons you. He doesn't care about you. But Paul hears from Timothy, no, they still have love. They have affection. They remember them kindly. They long to see them just as Paul longed to see the church. There's a mutual love. And how did Paul respond to that? Good news. What was the effect it had on him? We're going to look at that a little more closely in verses 7 to 10. And as we do, we're going to use this passage as a reminder. It's a reminder as to the effect that good news can and, and should have on us if we seek it out. When you come to Christ, you're surrendering your life to Jesus. You're saying, I'm a sinner, I've sinned against God, I I deserve judgment, but I believe that Christ has died for me. I believe that Christ has been raised in victory over sin and death. I believe that I'm forgiven, and God, in the moment of confessing, begging him, he forgives you, he cleanses you, but he also brings you to himself. He makes you his son or his daughter. And he unites you not just to himself, but into a family. You have brothers and sisters, and we've been talking about this as we've been looking at Thessalonians. His design is that we live in community. His design, as we've seen in the letter, is is affection with one another. 
And the example we've seen in this letter of affection and love is an encouragement to us to develop those same kinds of relationships in our own life. Those relationships include hearing good news. We're gonna get time today, whether it's right after service or in, in the picnic, and we're gonna talk. And part of talking is generic updates, how are things, what's going on. But again, it's very easy sometimes to focus in simply on the negative, what's hard, what's difficult, and we can rule out seeking also the positive. We can be asking each other, how is God working? How have you seen God answer prayer? How have you seen God sustain your faith and your love? Because we need to hear those things too. Why? What's the benefit of of good news? Let me give you five benefits or five reasons to pursue good news from your brothers and sisters in the faith. Number one, good news produces comfort. Good news brings comfort. We'll see this in verse seven. Paul says, for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. And if you're comfortable, you can underline that letter, that that word in your Bible, comfort. That was Paul's initial response. That's the first response he writes in this letter. He was going through persecution at the time, severe persecution, hardship, difficulty. But when he hears good news about the spiritual state of his brothers and sisters, that brings him comfort. And for Paul to say we are comforted about this report is an expression, first of all, of his humility of his love and affection for these people because when your life is bad and someone else's life is good, the temptation is jealousy. How come he got the last piece of cake, not me? How come his family seems to be doing well, whatever, wouldn't go on and on? But that wasn't Paul's response. Paul was more interested in the well-being of others and so he found comfort in knowing They were doing well. But his response of comfort doesn't just teach us about his humility and his affection, but it's also an indication of his priorities. Because if you look at it from a human perspective, the church wasn't doing very well. He already talked about that. Satan is afflicting this church. There's persecution. People's lives are possibly being threatened. And so his comfort is not that Paul came back and said, hey, don't worry, the the persecution's gone. They're good now. That's not the report. The report is that even in the persecution, they've continued in the faith. They've continued to demonstrate the love of Christ. That's a huge reminder here for all of us, but specifically, I think moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas, we have to make sure that our desire for the earthly blessings of life don't surpass our desire for spiritual blessings in our kids' lives and in our grandkids' lives. Would you rather have a child who gets something that he really wanted, a trophy, but he's selfish and arrogant? Or a child who lost the tournament or didn't get into the school that he wanted to get into but received it with humility and grace? That's a test of your priorities. Listen to some words by the Apostle John in his letter to Gaius. He says, For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy 
than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. That's from 3 John, verses three and four. That's the heart of a spiritual father. That's real comfort, true comfort. It doesn't come from comfort food. It doesn't come from all, whatever luxury this life can give us. True spiritual comfort comes from hearing about the spiritual progress of our brothers and sisters. God is sustaining them. God is upholding them. And then when we talk to one another, we should be asking those kinds of questions, you know, positively. How have you grown in your faith in the past year? What temptations are you gaining ground over? How have you seen God work in your life? And in hearing the answers, you can praise God together. And you can experience the comfort of knowing that God has been faithful to watch over his own. Paul gives us also a second reason to pursue spiritual good news. The first is comfort. The second I'll call energy or vitality if you prefer. Energy, good news about your brothers and sisters in the faith gives you energy. Look at verse eight. He says, for now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. And the if there, he knows they are standing fast. They're, they're staying in the faith. But he says, now we live. Does it mean they were dead? Obviously not. Before Timothy had come back with an update, Paul was in anguish. His heart was aching concerning the Thessalonian church, and in that kind of condition, it's not easy to keep moving forward. You don't want to do anything. You don't want to get out of bed. You don't, it's all worth nothing. I don't know what's happening with his church. But then Timothy comes back, and he tells him the church is there. There's faith. There's love. There's affection. And for Paul, that was relief, comfort, and it energized him. You can underdrive that phrase if you want to. Now we live. Now we live. There, there's a vitality and energy that came. And in thinking through that, I thought, you know, our culture is filled with all kinds of products designed to give us energy. Your life is boring and, or has a lull. You're tired. You need energy. And you may not have heard this because there were some other things going on at the time, but about a year ago, Hostess released a new product it's called a Boost Jumbo Donut. So the little donuts are the powdered ones, the chocolate, the crumb ones. That's a donut. These are jumbo donuts. They're just donuts. But it's a Boost Jumbo Donut. It's a caffeinated donut. The label says there's as much caffeine in there as a cup of coffee. And you can choose between chocolate mocha or caramel macchiato. I read one online review for the chocolate variety and the guy said this, quote, I make it a habit to check out the aroma of food first. Let me put it this way. Think chocolate scented Lysol bathroom cleaner. I wish that were hyperbole, end quote. And, and the review goes on, not so well after that. Why does this product exist? Because people are looking for ways to get a boost. Some, I need energy, whether it's Red Bull, whether it's Monster. I mean, that's, that's, that's a physical boost, and we're looking for it. And if we can't find it in natural life or with sleep that we're supposed to be getting, then we'll get it chemically. Well, spiritually speaking, you don't need to buy a hostess boost jumbo donut. Spiritual life, spiritual vitality will come as you hear and receive good news about your brothers and sisters. It's gonna energize you. 
When we hear testimonies and someone says, my coworker came to faith, I invited them to church, they came, and then they came to the Lord, you're energized, you're convicted a little bit, and you're energized, I need to go be part of what's, what's happening here. They're contributing, I need to contribute to the work of Christ as well. It will energize your own faith to hear good news about your brothers and your sisters. It will compel you to keep living for the honor and glory of Christ. So the good news produced in Paul comfort, it produced energy. Number three on our list, it produced thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, this one shouldn't be a surprise. I I just read it to you from the beginning of of the letter, chapter one, verse two. We give thanks to God always for all of you. This is a thankful tone. He thanked God that the church, even though there was difficulty, he thanked God that they were spiritually thriving. And the thankfulness is a recognition that it's not ultimately what the Thessalonians had done. It's God who's behind it. That doesn't mean the Thessalonians did nothing. So the sanctification, you need to be working. You need to exert yourself. But behind that, God is the one, Philippians says, who who gives us the, the, the will and the desire to do it. He's the one who works and wills for his good pleasure. God's the one who brings the blessing of a sustained faith. And he deserves the glory. And so Paul responds with thanksgiving. Connected to thanksgiving, we have number four on our list. That's joy. Good news brings joy. And we see thanksgiving and we see joy now as we come to verse nine. It's it's the beginning of a rhetorical question, which a rhetorical question is used sometimes to express emotions in a stronger way. So when you ask your kid, what's wrong with you? You don't really want an answer, which is, I'm your kid. That's what's wrong with me. Um, You're just expressing your angst. When here he's not expressing angst, he's expressing joy. Thanksgiving, verse nine, he says, for what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God? You read that question and you ask, does that sound like a man who's tired of life? Does that sound like a man who's overcome by his problems? And the answer is no. What thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God? Paul was a man, you read in 2 Corinthians especially, of trials, difficulty. But in that, there was thanksgiving and there was joy, and part of the reason for his joy and for his thanksgiving was that he had meaningful relationships with brothers and sisters for the glory of Christ. He had invested himself in others. His heart was linked to the spiritual progress of others. And so is ours. That's what it means to be a family. That's what it means to be a a community. God did not intend for you to look around at your life and be bored or bitter or overcome with your problems. He intended our hearts as his children to be intertwined for his glory. And those relational connections at times are gonna bring pain. We've seen that already. But they're also gonna bring comfort and energy and thanksgiving and joy. That's God's design. There's one final product of hearing good news about a brother or sister in the faith, and I'll call it zeal. Good news produces 
zeal. It doesn't just give you energy. When kids have pizza, and then they're going to have juice and soda, and then they have candy, they have energy. But it's not zeal. Zeal's different. Zeal has a purpose. Zeal has a goal. Zeal has a direction. Look at it in verse 10. Paul is finishing the rhetorical question, and it's another one of his responses. Along with thanksgiving and along with joy, verse 10 says, we pray most earnestly, night and day, that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. So he rejoices because of the update, but he's also reminded that the progress he's heard about is not finished. There's more work to do. Until we see Jesus for ourselves, we are supposed to be working for the sanctification of others, and others are to be working in our own life. So he's grateful to know that they're still there, they're hanging in there, they're trusting in Christ, there's faith and there's love, but he says there's more to do. This would be like a coach praising his team because they won the first game of the season. There's excitement, there's energy, but the journey's not over. It's just beginning. There's still more to do. And Paul, in thinking through all there is to do, he wasn't overwhelmed by that. He knew the victory was guaranteed in Christ. He was energized for it. And so that's his prayer. I pray most earnestly night and day. There's zeal, there's there's an enduring desire The prayer is that we may see you face to face. And obviously there's some sentimentality there, but it's more than that. It's not just a desire to hug them and give them a kiss. Why does he want to go to Thessalonica? He says, we want to see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. He doesn't mean their faith is incomplete in the sense that they don't know the full gospel. He's saying, what's lacking? Growth, we all can grow. I have a part to play in helping you grow and there's something specifically I could do if I were with you that I couldn't do just by sending you letters once in a while. He wants to keep working for their spiritual maturity. He wants to keep exhorting them and preparing them for what's ahead. That's zeal. That's purpose. Paul receives the joy but he recognizes the work isn't over yet. There's still more to do for the glory of Jesus Christ. And we can have the same and should have the same response. Like I said, God's design for us is not that we would go through life and look around at all everybody else and we would be bored or overwhelmed. Problems are gonna come. Difficulties are going to come, but even in those things, God wants us to have these things, like Paul did, comfort, and energy, and thanksgiving, and joy, and and zeal, purpose. You show that list to someone, even if they're not a Christian, look at this list, would you want that? Most people would say, yes, I don't wanna live the life, I, I want these things. Look at that list. Think about the opposite, the opposite of comfort, grief, pain, the opposite of energy, tired, fatigue, the opposite of thanksgiving, bitterness, Angry, the opposite of joy, sadness, sorrow, the opposite of zeal, purposeless, pointlessness, meaninglessness. Nobody wants that. So just in this short passage, God is showing us we can have these things. We can move in this direction if we, number one, know and receive the good news of the gospel. And if we step into one another's lives 
to find out the good news of what God has been doing in their life. And praise God, we'll have a chance to do that right now as the service ends and an extended time in the picnic as a family of God. Let's pray. Father, it's an important, needed, helpful reminder for us. We are going through individually so many different things, spiritually, physically, and those things are easy to consume our thoughts and our words. There's difficulties even in in, in friendships, in families, but you remind us that there's so much reward as well. We pray you would help us overcome all those barriers that exist in our own hearts, in our own lives, in our own laziness that keeps us from investing in other people. I thank you for the joy of friendships. We thank you for the joy of spiritual family. Lord Jesus, you said, my brother, my mother, are those who hear the word of God and do it. And responding to the truth of Christ's message, you have made us your sons and your daughters. You've given us mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters and you design us to live in love and joy. Help us do so more and more. Help us invest our lives, ourselves, our time, our money, our energy in one another for the glory of Christ. And in doing that, Father, we know that we receive these things, joy and gratitude and love and zeal. But also, Lord, there is the profound effect it has on the culture, which is so isolated right now. They will see the love that we have for one another and they will know that we're disciples of Christ. We pray you would implement these things in our lives. For your glory, Lord Jesus, we ask. Amen.